0: We sing about Christ. We know that he came ultimately to provide salvation for us. And in light of a series we have been doing as we've been interacting with God's word, discussing sharing Christ, sharing the gospel with others. We have discussed the lifestyle, living godly, coming from Colossians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 3. We've discussed the gospel and some of the basic concepts of the gospel. I want to look at a portion of scripture this morning that deals with Peter sharing with an audience. And he shared with the audience in light of who they were and how they lived and responded in light of their background. Take a few moments in silence. You share with the Lord your desire to be sensitive as we interact with God's Word this morning. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to interact with your Word. We want to be people who are hearers and doers of your Word. We want to be a people in our day-by-day living that are displaying lives that are transforming because of Christ at work in us. We want to be sensitive to sharing Christ with others. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you go to a doctor who did not consider your medical history when he was contemplating doing surgery do you get frustrated with doctors who may use medical terms but don't explain them? Do you at times need computer language explained to you? Now you just can't relate. You need computer language explained. How would you respond if you can imagine, this? this is hard to envision, When someone tells you how to drive a car, but you have never sat in a car. Someone's telling you how to drive a car, but you've never sat in a car. Don't even know what a car is. That would take some creative communication on the part of one giving instruction. As we think about communicating the gospel, it is important to consider the audience to whom we are speaking Because if you're speaking to a Muslim, that is much different than speaking to someone with a religious background. Yesterday I was talking to a nephew and we were discussing our heritage, our religious heritage, and how with that heritage comes some baggage that influences how we understand things and how we respond to things. And I said to him, he had some questions. I said, Here's how I think you could respond in light of our heritage. Who we speak to is very, very important. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Going to read <clears throat> some of the passage, Acts 2. We'll read the passage, then I'll address some of the background and the audience and so on. Acts 2, beginning with verse 1. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed they asked, Are not these men who are speaking galileans then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue and then the various places are listed where people came from but skip down to verse 12 amazed and perplexed they ask one another what does this mean some however made fun of them and said they've had too much wine then peter stood up with the 11 raised his voice and addressed the crowd Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. And as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, set up my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of sin, your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. As we think about this portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 2, we need to keep in mind that Christ's ministry extended a Some three years, his public ministry. The crucifixion took place. The resurrection, some three days later. Forty days after the resurrection, he ascended to his father. And during that 40 days, he was seen by many, many people. Witnesses of the fact that he came from the dead. Ten days after his ascension was the day of Pentecost. And during this period of 10 days between Christ's ascension and the day of Pentecost, a 12th person was selected to fill Judas' place as an apostle, as described in chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> the events are taking place on the day of Pentecost. It took place 50 days after the Passover. Keep in mind, Jesus celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples before he went to the cross. That is, death, his resurrection, and his ascension. The activity on the day of Pentecost was that the first fruits of the crop were dedicated formally to the Lord. The day of Pentecost is also called the day of first fruits. So Peter here is speaking on the day of Pentecost because the Spirit of God has come. And in chapter 1, Jesus had told the apostles to wait, and they did wait. The Spirit of God has come, clearly stated by Peter. And when the Spirit of God comes, we find that the twelve are speaking in the dialect, the tongues of the people who came from other areas, other parts of the world, to Jerusalem for the Passover, for Pentecost. So the hearers are God-fearing Jews. We're dealing with a Jewish, Jewish audience from every nation under heaven. And again, probably in Jerusalem, for Pentecost, the speakers... Who is speaking? The twelve are speaking. As you read the flow of chapter 2, the twelve are speaking in other tongues. As you look at verse 26 of chapter 1, chapter 2, 13, or 2, 3, and 2, 14. The twelve are speaking, and they're taken for being drunk. And Peter says, listen, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. The tongues, being spoken by the twelve, were a sign to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ and that the apostles were speaking for him. A prophet, as you look at the Old Testament, was confirmed that his message was correct through signs. The apostles were speaking for Christ and they were confirmed as speaking for Christ with tongues, and that's some Old Testament that we won't go into at this point in time. So Peter is a spokesman. Remember, Peter's the one who denied Christ three times. You know, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And Christ asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Now it's interesting, as you look at the passage that Peter, in verses 17 through 21, quotes from the prophet Joel. And we're not going to draw a parallel between the prophet Joel and what Peter is mentioning at this point in time, but he is speaking to a Jewish audience who would have at least known some of what the old prophet said, or the old testament prophets said. He also refers to David, in verses 25 through 28, and in verse 35. Again, the Jews being familiar with David. As Peter speaks, he's very direct and very to the point. Notice in verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him. As you read the Gospels, we find signs, wonders, and miracles done by Christ affirming to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23, the man was handed over to you by God's set purpose. Referring to Christ, Christ being handed over to you, the Jews, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And with the help of wicked men, You, along with the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then the quote coming from David, as it relates to Christ. So Peter is very direct with them. You know, the man that you were instrumental in putting to death was accredited by God with wonders, miracles, and signs. Look at verses 38 and 39. Peter replied, the question is, brothers, what shall we do? Repent be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now he's speaking to religious people, those who would have known the Mosaic Law, and what does he say to them? Repent. Oh, I'm a Jew. Repent. Free direct with them. We also find that in light of the question or concern, you know, these guys had too much wine, Peter responds and he is speaking to a Jewish audience. And who does he speak of? Christ. Again, look at verse 22. After his quote from the prophet Joel, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. Christ. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose, and with the help of wicked men, you put him to death. This Christ accredited as being the Son of God again, coming from the Gospels, was crucified, put to death on a cross. Don't blame strong drink for what is happening. Let me tell you about Christ. But Christ raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jewish audience who understood some things in the Old Testament, and he points them to Christ. The one you killed, the one you were instrumental in crucifying, was accredited by God as being the Son of God. Look at verse 29. Again, referring to Christ, speaking of Christ, pointing his listeners to Christ. Peter says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. That he, Christ, was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised him, or raised this Jesus to life. And we are witnesses of this fact. The twelve saw him. There were some 500 other witnesses that saw the resurrected Christ. <coughs> so Peter goes on in verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. What you see and hear is because Christ ascended to his Father and he has poured out the Spirit. And what is happening here is to be attributed to the Spirit of God. Therefore, in verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Lord. And Christ. Peter's message. Cut them to the heart. So their question. Brothers. What shall we do? And Peter says repent. Be baptized everyone in you in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent is a change in a frame of mind, a change of, in a thinking process. Remember that he said in verse 23 that you put this man to death. Now he's saying repent, repent of how you view Christ, one who should be put to death. See him as Savior. See him as Lord. Repent. Have a turning from crucifying to seeing him as the one who is Christ, who is Lord. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Spirit. In verse 40, he says, with many other words... The writer says in verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. The idea of warning is a solemn and earnest charge. Again, talking to them about Christ, what they had done and who Christ was. He pleaded with them, inviting them to come to Christ, exhorting them, persuading them to come to Christ. And then it says, those who accepted the message were baptized. Those who accepted... To receive, to embrace this message that Jesus is the Christ. He is the one resurrected. He is both Christ. He is both Lord. To those who accepted the message, who responded to Christ, that was followed with their being baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. There was repentance. There was faith in Christ. And then, after coming to Christ, obedience and baptism. A question in light of the passage. Knowing what you already know, in light of some things we discussed this morning about Peter's audience, where do you think they were on the evangelism scale? And we used this scale before. Where do you think they were? And there's nothing sacred about this. It's just a helpful tool in thinking about where someone may be in coming to faith in Christ. Number 12, born with a God vacuum. Aware of a higher power. Skipping up to number 6. Exposed to other Christians' concepts. Number 5, interested in Jesus and the gospel. Peter is speaking to an audience that it were at least probably up to five or six. He wasn't speaking to an audience that was void of God, that had no background in relation to God. God is creator, the whole sacrificial system and so on. As you look in Acts 10, you look in Acts 17, you'll find that when there's relating to other audiences, people talked in a different way. So audience is a factor. What was their worldview? The worldview of the audience. Their worldview was a Jewish background. They had heard about Christ and would have responded to some extent as far as what was happening in the events of the day. In what ways were these Jews an exception to the way most people groups would be on the, again, the evangelism scale? They were aware that there was a creator of God. They had religious beliefs. They had worshipped God. They were Jews. They knew about the sh- sacrificial system. So where does Peter begin with Christ? He didn't necessarily have to talk a lot about God. They would have some awareness of sin because of the Mosaic Law, some awareness of death. So, of the eight concepts of the gospel that we discussed in the past, what were some that the Jews already understood? The audience. I think they understood God, to some extent, understood humans, sin, death. They had a distorted view of Christ. They crucified him, a distorted view of the cross. Thought they were walking with God. There, Peter says they needed to repent. And then they would have life. With which gospel concept could Peter begin to witness? I think the text makes it pretty clear he began with Christ. Talks about Joel and then talks about Christ. The cross talks about the resurrection. Talks about repentance because of the audience. As you share with unbelievers, as you relate to unbelievers, you seek to communicate the message of the cross. Seek to understand where they are. What's their, quote unquote, religious background? And then begin where they are and let the Spirit of God do a work. I'll give an example in just a few minutes. The work of the Spirit is evident in Acts chapter 2. Salvation is of God, but God wants to use us in the lives of others. Let's take an example of speaking to a religious person. Peter is speaking to a religious audience. And he points them to Christ. Suppose you're speaking to a religious Baptist. I use Baptist since we're a Baptist church. You're speaking to religious Methodists. Again, just using them as examples, who may have made a profession of faith years ago, but they're not walking with God, and you really wonder where they are spiritually. Here's people who claim to be walking with God, and they may have been, but Christ came along, so he presented the message of the cross of Christ. But you're seeking to talk to someone about Christ who has a religious background. I think you might explain salvation and reconciliation as being a relationship with God and Jesus. A relationship with the body of Christ and a relationship with relating to unbelievers within the world. Now you will find in talking to religious people who claim to be believers, but may not be believers, that most of them will say, if you ask them, are you saved? I'm saved. And they say, yes, I know when I die, I'll go to heaven. And that's their understanding of salvation. Salvation involves a relationship with the Creator God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation is not merely future. Salvation is present. Walking with God, walking with Christ, the Spirit of God working within us. You might just say, What is your understanding of salvation, reconciliation? You're reconciled to God. You now have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with Jesus. And you have a relationship with the body of Christ. You're one with others. That's why you want to interact with other believers. You might also ask them if they're enjoying Christ. But if they claim to be a believer, but there's the, some patterns of life in their daily living that are sinful, you might take them to Galatians chapter 5. Just listen as I read from Galatians chapter 5. Now you're talking to a religious person may, who may have professed faith in Christ, but their life doesn't show it. Galatians 5 says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warned you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So lovingly and gently you might say, would you please read to me Galatians 5. 19 through 21. You know I've uh, seen you in a fit of rage quite often. Seems to be a pattern of life. What's going on? They're just challenging them lovingly to think a religious person. Peter very strongly challenged the Jews to whom he was speaking. You might also use 1 John chapter 2, 3 through 6, or chapter 2, 15 through 17. Chapter 2, 3 through 6 talks about, you know, if you're a believer, you're going to be striving to walk with God, be obedient to him. No, obedient to Christ, walking with him. There's not a pattern of obedience. You might also ask the question, are you experiencing Christ and fellowship? with the Holy Spirit each day. So you're speaking to a person who claims to be a believer, but yet you observe their lifestyle, and you just wonder where they are. You know, how'd you experience Christ today? How'd you experience Christ yesterday? How did you fellowship with the Spirit yesterday? You know, challenging them concerning where they are. When I say challenge, I don't use that in a negative, critical way. You're seeking to get them to stop and to think. Then you might ask, are you saved? What have you been saved from? I'm not sure what their answer might be. They might say, I'm saved from sin and I'm saved from hell. Well, what are you saved to? Again, I don't know what the response might be. But if we're saved from sin... then we shouldn't walk in it as a pattern of life. We struggle with it, but not having patterns of certain things where we continually sin. And have you stopped to think about the fact that Ephesians 2 and verse uh, 10 says, in the context of being saved, that we're called to walk in good works, which God before ordained for us to walk in. My point is, consider the audience to whom you speak. We won't take time to do it this morning, but suppose you're speaking to a Catholic. And they're not sure where they stand with God. You would want to begin where they are. And point to Jesus Christ. Consider the audience to whom you're speaking and then present Christ as there are opportunities. A couple of questions as we wrap up our time in God's word. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you come to faith? Have you repented of sin and trusted in Christ? If not, why not today? Invite you to trust him Today. If you have trusted in Christ, with whom do you desire to share Christ? Who do you want to point to Christ? As we pray together this morning, I will begin, followed by Scott praying for Brent and Michelle, missionary builders that worked among us followed by arden praying for our nation seeking to apply what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 followed by danny praying for our concerning our church meeting tonight let's pray together father in light of our interaction with your word this morning it's our desire to be sensitive to the unbelievers and our severe influence <coughs> sensitive the opportunities you give to share Christ with them. And help us to grasp, Father, that we may sow a seed, we may cultivate soil, we may water, but ultimately it's your spirit that gives the increase. But we want to be sensitive and mindful to those in our severe of influence that don't know Christ. Give us wisdom in relating to them just walking with you as there are doors of opportunity, wisdom, and verbalizing with them, desiring that your Spirit would use us to minister to them. As we do each week, Father, pray for individuals listed in our prayer guide. Pray for Bud and Lorraine Austin as they go through physical trials, as their granddaughter McKenna goes through treatment for cancer, And in light of Ephesians chapter 3, Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches you might strengthen Bud and Lorraine with your power through your spirit in their inner being. So that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. I pray too, Father, that they may grow in understanding your love, the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of your great love. And also the power that is at work in them. May they rejoice in their difficulties so you can build character and perseverance into their lives. I pray that as they relate to their children, to their grandchildren, that they may have wisdom and understanding, knowing when to encourage, when to pray with others, when to challenge them to love you more. As they interact with younger people at times, may you use them to help younger people to understand in a growing manner how to walk with you. And know, Father, they have a burden for the unsaved as they interact with unsaved, whether it be in their family or their severe of influence. Give them clarity and boldness. Pray for Mark and Janet. Ben I pray that in their day by day living as they hear your word, as they may interact with your word, give them a growing understanding of Christ. Who he is and how he desires to work in their lives. Give them wisdom in the trials of life that they have. Wisdom to trust you, to walk with you. Wisdom to Respond to others as they would seek to encourage others. And as they relate to various family members, may they have discernment and understanding and being a blessing and an encouragement to them. I pray, Father, that Mark and Janet will grow in their knowledge of you and how that knowledge impacts day by day living. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.